Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at SteeDDNFL on Twitter and of course follow the group at UK Packers and it's an absolute pleasure and I very rarely, it's like getting um, a dessert brought to your table and then the waiter just brings another dessert to your table and you know, you get to enjoy it. It's Jason Wilde again. Jason, what, you know, did you do something wrong in a past life to have to listen to me twice? (laughs) Well, no, I think it's two things. One, I was so jealous that so many of my colleagues had been on before I was <laughs> right. that I decided I'm just going to do it every week. Uh, and saying, well, I am so, anybody who listens to Wilde and Tausch or listens to me in press conferences, mm. I'm so long-winded that my answers were far too long in our first installment. So <laughs> I'm going to focus on being pissy. Right. Uh, but I wanted to give you a little bit of extra time because I have been so long-winded the last time we talked. I like long-winded um, because, you know, it's a, you're, you're an expert interviewer and I'll have a question for you later on in the podcast kind of about technique, let's say. And uh, does, is there anything worse, Jason, than when you're talking to somebody and they give you this like, and you must get it all the time. And I don't mean to delve into the, the sort of interview question straight away, but I mean, do you experience that much? Um, now, I know your technique is, if I m- might say so myself, is very friendly, very approachable, uh, very human. And certainly from our part one podcast, which is out now, um, is that, you know, you make people feel welcome and you have a way and a knack of, you know, getting to the bones of a story and keeping the very human element to it and understanding that they're people too. So how many times have you come across a player and I'm going to mention a guy, if you don't mention him, uh, that when you talk to them, that it's kind of, it's a one word answer and it's very hard to get anything out of. And does that really disappoint you as a journalist to have to put so much prep into an interview and get that response back? Um, sure, it's disappointing when you're unsuccessful and, and especially when, I appreciate what you said, um, it is the, it's, I don't think I'm great at anything that we do. I, I think I mentioned that the last time. I, I You know, Rob's a great reporter and, um, I, I think I'm an okay storyteller, but I'm not the greatest writer ever by any means. And so the one thing that I like to think I'm good at is the interview and, yeah. and getting people to talk. And and when you don't and when you fail, yeah, of course it's disappointing. Now, there are some instances where that's has nothing to do with the quality of your questions, whether it's uh, bad experiences in the past for that player or he's just a jerk. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I would say my biggest frustration with the Packers has been in recent years. And, and I don't know where it traces to. Uh, I, I don't think it's Ted Thompson. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know who would be the person that would have led these players to feel this way, but they have, they definitely have become increasingly guarded and it takes longer to gain their trust. And, and maybe that's just how the media is perceived in general. Maybe that's something that they learn when they get to 1265 Lombardi Avenue. Yeah. But, you know, that's why you, you appreciate the ones that you get to a point with where uh, they are willing. But I'll give you a perfect example. So David Bakhtiari suffers an injury in training camp last year. Um, and so I texted with him back and forth. And I said, look, I, I need to ask, are you, you know, you think you're all right? Did, is there anything? He sent me 
the thumbs up emoji. And he said, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. So I used it in a story. And he said that somebody in the building came down on him for it. And I said, David, it's your ankle. <laughs> like, who are they to tell you that you can't text me a thumbs up? He didn't give me the full diagnosis. And so he and I, and, and he's one of the guys that I have a great relationship with. Mm. You know, he comes on the show. He gives me time one-on-one uh, in, in whatever I want it. And so we kind of talked through it. And I said, look, man, I would never hang you out to dry. But you got to remember, you know, there's a lot of fans that care a lot about you. More than just, well, we want the best left tackle in the game to be protecting our quarterback. They, they do care. They, I think Packers fans are authentic in that. And I said, you gave them what they were hoping to hear and you didn't give too much information. And so, you know, to borrow a phrase that you mentioned to me before we get started every time when I'm on with you, uh, you tell them to piss off. <laughs> and, and, and that's the truth. And so, um, and he and I have been great since, but I was, I couldn't get over that, that here's a guy, uh, an all pro player being told by someone in the building, mm. you know, well, you shouldn't really tell Jason that really. Yeah. I don't understand that. Well, you see, people are getting a real glimpse into the pre-production. It's just me swearing like a sailor um, at the guests. And then, <laughs> so look, I've got so many questions around uh, this type of topic. I mean, I'm sure with your relationships with people in the building, with players, like you say, that you must get told an unbelievable amount of stuff, some that you can verify and some that you can't. Jason, when do these conversations of off the record come about and now, they, again, this is I'm I'm ex- well. I'm not going to say I'm like you because that does you a massive disservice. Uh, but I tend to throw ten questions into one, and um, more so as a sort of a mood setter than anything else. So I guess number one, why did these off the record conversations come about at all? Because why talk to you if they're going to tell you here's some stuff, but I, I don't want you to tell anybody. And also, would it be correct in saying that with your in depth knowledge of the Packers? that us as a fan base probably see a situation a certain way. And I'm just going to throw this example out there. Um, Say the Elliot Wolf situation. I mean, there was a big hullabaloo about that and then he left for Cleveland. Um, And the way you sort of fancy it is, is that Elliot kind of got done over and got let go and he was fantastic. Now, I was on the podcast before that saying, I personally don't know anything about Elliot Wolf. Um, I know his father, but if my father was a surgeon, does it make me a good surgeon? Um, so that's sort of the you know, thing right. by association. But I did acknowledge the fact that he was like highly touted by the top brass, including Mark Murphy, um, and that they wouldn't have promoted him so quickly at such a young age uh, if he wasn't really good at what he did. So I'd no question he was good at what he did, but people who just thought he's a wolf put him in there. So that's a situation that we all think we know what went on there, but you probably know the ins and outs of it. Is it true to say that uh, you probably have a different frame of reference for the Packers than most people because of the stuff that you actually cannot say? Well, to some degree. uh, At the same time, a lot of those off-the-record conversations are sometimes just guys venting, and if they trust you, they know that you're not going to use it. And I think it's, you know, you talk about building relationships. I think that's one way that you kind of build them, you know, Mm. that A, they tell you four, five, six, ten, fifteen, whatever the number ends up being, times something that's off the record, and they know that it doesn't show up in a story or get mentioned on the air. Now, you know, there's been a couple times that Aaron Rodgers said something that I didn't, he didn't make clear was off the record, and I used it in some way, and then he was like, "What, what the hell are you doing? That was off the record." Um, and so then you have to kind of work through those, but. 
in general, I think everyone knows that uh, I'm not going to burn them on that. Now, if it's to me, and, and there are others who have different standards as reporters, and I'm not here to, to bash anybody who used to cover the team or who covers the team now, mm. but I, I personally think off-the-record stuff is supposed to be, you know, A, on background, so you can understand dynamics, but B, if somebody doesn't have their name on it, it should be for something factual. Yeah. It should not be for opinion. And so that's just my philosophy. I don't expect everyone to adhere to it. It's just mine. Mm. But I think in some instances, I'll give you a, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit this, although I'm a little ashamed that I allowed it. So after Josh Jones didn't show up for OTAs and Rob Domofsky broke that story, Mm. um, I got a pretty good rapport with him and I called him or I texted him. I said, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about this. And he called me right away. And I said, look, I need to, I, I need to talk to you, but I, I'm not, we're not doing this off the record. Like if you want to talk fine and I'd like to write it and I'd like to give you your side because I'm telling you. And, and that's the other thing is, you know, if you're honest with these guys, you know, I think I've got a pretty good idea of what the pulse of Packers fans might be. And I said, look, the, the narrative is you're afraid to compete. And he responded with some expletives and, and I said, well, I'm telling you, that's what the narrative is. And so I want to give you the chance to, to, to say, look, they, you know, whatever the reason is, this is your chance to say it. And he's like, cool. I appreciate that. So we talked for probably 10 minutes and it, it was very compelling. And then I hang up with him and my phone rings about, I don't know, five minutes later, hmm. about the time I required him to talk to Drew Rosenhaus. And he says, that was all off the record. Okay. And it's like, I, I'm like, no, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, I told you that this was on the record. And, and so we talked for a little while longer. And I said, look, I, I don't want to burn you on this. I said, how about, can we go through and, and find it? And, and technically, I didn't do what a journalist is supposed to do there. I'm supposed to say, sorry, you said it was on the record. I'm going with it. Now, was anything that he said inflammatory? No. It was him venting and saying, you know, basically, I'm not afraid to compete. And this, you know, I think the narrative that's out there is pretty clear anyway. And it was just more confirmation of it that he doesn't feel like the Packers think he fits what they do. So yeah. why not let him go to another team? But, you know, that was an instance where I thought it was pretty obvious. I made a very clear from the start. And I did. I did hold back some quotes that should have been on the record. And I didn't use them in my story that day. Hmm. And and if he ends up getting traded, maybe I'll use him then. But that that is, you know, that's kind of a gray area there when it comes to that. I, I should I want to touch on what you said about Elliot Wolf. The the bottom line is is that Mark Murphy felt like Goody was more well rounded in personnel and that he knew college and pro personnel better than Elliot, who had really come up through the pro personnel side. Now, whether or not that's accurate, that was the opinion. And that's what kind of led to it. Also had he picked Elliot Wolf and then bait and switched him the Mm. way he bait and switched Goody, I would guess that Elliot Wolf would have used some of the same language his father would have and told him (laughs) to piss off um, because he would not have taken a job where you could not have control over who the head coach was. So, I think we just have to be in those types of instances too. I think we have to be careful. Like you said, you know, if your father is a surgeon, that doesn't mean you're going to be a great surgeon. Um, 
I think Elliot Wilson, a really smart guy. I think he's going to be a successful GM in the league someday. I think he probably could have done a good job had he gotten the job here, but I don't know that for sure. And nor does anyone else because it is totally different when you are sitting in the big chair and making the calls. Goody said that from the very beginning, he said, when Ted would make a draft pick, he has a notebook and he would write down who he would have picked. And it wasn't always the same. And so, and then you go back and you grade yourself on how that player did. Well, I'm sure that he has some hits and he has some misses in that notebook. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Ted and I mean, what a character to split the fan base to. Um, what was your opinion on Ted? Because we know sort of, you know, the Packers journalists weren't too high on him because of his lack of contact and how I guess they felt that McCarthy would be stuck coming out and trying to explain certain things. What's your opinion of him, Jason? And what do you think his legacy is going to be in Green Bay? Because before his induction into the Hall of Fame and, you know, the stories about his his failing health came out, there was an awful lot of the fan base that we saw anyway that were very critical of him, uh, which is very easy to do looking back. And they picked a 2015 draft, for instance, and say, oh, how many players are left from that? You know, but I mean, is that fair to the guy's legacy? And then you have people discounting him taking Aaron Rodgers and they sort of use it as a no-brainer and say, oh, well, of course you do if he falls to you. And I don't know if you think that's true as well. How would you sum up no, uh, that's Ted? Not true. Yeah, I, I, I think, first of all, I don't think he'll ever be as appreciated as he should be. Mm. Um, secondly, I think if you go back and look historically, um, it was in the final four-ish years of his tenure where he was more reclusive, turned down more interview requests. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, again, I have, I have a, uh, a hard time with the criticism cause I feel like I've got a pretty good idea of his character. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did a story in 2007 where I talked to literally everyone in his family, his, his dad, his siblings, Bum Phillips. Uh, I sat with Ted for over an hour in his office. He talked about not having gotten married. I mean, he was, mm. you know, we, we talked about a lot. And uh, in 2009, um, six weeks after I got married, I landed in the hospital and Ted Thompson came and visited me with John Dorsey. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have, I don't think people who were critical of him for not speaking often enough or for adhering to his draft and develop uh, philosophy, give him as much credit as he deserves for everything he did accomplish. I mean, we just talked about David Bakhtiari. There's not a lot of guys who get a fourth round pick who becomes a all pro. Yeah. Um, I understand now to, now to balance that. And that does not mean he gets to escape criticism. You know, he likes to say, he always would say, this is a big boy league Mm. and it is a big boy league. And he made some mistakes in draft picks, um, especially in the more recent ones. And so I think that criticism is valid. What I would say about Ted Thompson is that I would not equate his uh, reduced public speaking to him, not wanting to, talk to us or to keep fans informed. He certainly played things close to the best, but I think that this, I think it's pretty clear now. And I would hope that any Packers fans who would make jokes about, you know, the gifts of him staring up the TV or pushing the bottle of water to his mouth at a pre-draft press conference when he couldn't get it there. Now understand that 
this illness has probably been uh, a, a number of years in coming and, and, and worsening. I talked to somebody at UW Hospital after he made the announcement, and you know, he chose a very vague term. Uh, I talked to a neurologist who specializes in Parkinson's and other diseases like that, and mm. you know, he chose clearly in that statement a vague term on purpose. Yeah, and uh, you know, I will just—I'll I'll leave it at this when it comes to Ted. I—I I maybe did a disservice for our readers. Uh, and our listeners in not pursuing that story more, um, more strongly, um, because he was the head of a publicly owned franchise. And I think there's an argument clearly to be made that maybe his health affected his job performance. Um, but I didn't do it cause I really, I didn't, I didn't not chase the story mm. because I like Ted as a person. Um, in my opinion, it's kind of like that line from the HBO show, The Newsroom, uh, a doctor pronounces someone dead, not the news. Um, I think when it comes to health, that person has the right to privacy. And if he doesn't want to disclose his illness, and if I ask him point blank and he doesn't, isn't willing to discuss it, which I did at one point, then he deserves that. And we don't belong using anonymous sources to be describing someone's private health situation. Yeah, and it's probably in bad taste too. I mean, there's an awful lot of coverage pointing fingers of who was to blame and when. And I just, I, you know, at the end of the day, Jason, I mean, this is a, and the players say this often, it's a game, you know, so there's an awful lot of human story behind it. But um, there's an awful lot of sort of, um, there's a visceral reaction sometimes online, which I guess brings me to the whole social media aspect. Now, me personally, and I've said this openly on the podcast before, I have this sort of, you know, big... Uh, these notions, let's call them, to go off into a log cabin in the woods and to just delete everything off my phone, to put it at the bottom of a lake, to get my family, kids, dog, and go off and just forget about all of it. Because if Twitter was deleted off the face of the planet like Vine was, um, you know, maybe we wouldn't see Donald Trump's tweets. I mean, you know, there'd be certain things that maybe we'd be further away from nuclear war. Um, and there's just certain things that if you sort of look at it, it's it's probably one of those things that although it's fantastic and it's great to meet people and I wouldn't trade that for the world. However, if it was deleted, an awful lot of the stuff that's said on there actually doesn't matter. So when it comes to you, I mean, you're you're massive in the community. Uh, what you say carries an awful lot of weight, but you get some stick sometimes, don't you, when you tweet something that isn't Packers related. Jason, how dare you have a life? I mean, for you to actually have an interest in something. I, I see that you had um, you had a tweet, what was it, about the Democratic debate, and you put out your opinion. And of course, you get the people coming on and slating you for it. What is your relationship like with social media? And do you find it difficult in situations like that where you want to share something personal to you but you have these people trying to shut you down. What is your relationship with these platforms? It's definitely a, a love-hate relationship. Um, I think that there have been some really great things that have come out of my Twitter account and mm. my uh, the people I've gotten to know and the things I've learned. Um, I love it as I love to read. And I don't read a lot of books, but I love to read a lot of articles and long-form pieces and be well-informed with the news. And from that perspective, it's, it's a godsend for me because it's all right there. Um, engagement. I like engaging with people. I like people in general mm. and Twitter has made it less enjoyable. Um, <laughs> I probably do a bad job of writing off the jerks and not focusing enough on the good people that mm. are there. 
Um, I think that's probably not uncommon uh, for people because you kind of get your get your Irish up, if you will, um, <laughs> when when somebody says something that you think is wrong or yeah. or hateful. I I would I, I think I've kind of come to the place though where, and I was thinking about this as I watched uh, Woj breaking all the NBA news on his Twitter account. I thought that's great, and he's the best at it at, without question. How is ESPN monetizing that exactly? Yeah. Like, uh, it, Twitter's free. I'm not subscribing to his tweets. I'm yeah. just following him. I'm not paying. And I thought, you know, whether it's that or, or you know, in press conferences, if you notice, and I, I don't, maybe nobody notices or cares, but I really stopped, unless it's really significant. Um, I've stopped tweeting during press conferences about probably four years ago now that I stopped. Because I found myself not asking good questions, not listening to the answers, because I was too busy transcribing the answer as it was coming out and not listening to the actual yeah. answer. Um, and so I've kind of reached the point now where, and, and yeah, you know, pointing out that I thought Kamala Harris had a had a strong performance in the Democratic, and it's not worth it. It's not worth having forty. Trump supporters unfollow you because now they can't listen to anything you say about the Packers. That's fine. That's their choice. But it, it really, the, the upside, I've come to the conclusion that the upside is limited. So I'm less likely to engage. I used to spend a lot of time on it early in its infancy. Yeah. That's why I have 90,000 tweets. I bet I probably have 10,000 <laughs> of those in the last like three, four, five years. Yeah. And 80,000 of them in the first five years. Um, but it's just not, you know, for getting your work out and for people to read it, it's great. But beyond that, I think on balance, it's probably more negative than positive. Yeah, and certainly from a for for us now, it's kind of a it's a lifeblood at the UK Packers in the sense that we get to talk to people. But like I said, me personally, um, if I could do if if you could keep it's like anything else, if you could keep all the good bits, I think what sort of struck me was is uh I, I saw a difference between these two things right so uh and this is a bit long-winded as usual but the um and i've been waiting to say this for a very long time to my postman right now bear with me it does have a point um i remember uh, i got a, a parcel delivered and uh, i went out to the guy and he arrived at like 7 p.m so i was like why is the postman arriving is this some scam to get into my house and rob me or what's going on so i said to him uh, you're around late and he said yeah and i said geez why are you working at seven and he said, oh, it's a new thing that they're doing over here. So in Ireland, you know, the postal system, they, they make them work late. But he goes, oh, look, it's overtime, so it's it's fine, you know. He said, it's going to pay for my holiday. And I thought, Jason, this is my chance. So I said, uh, where are you going to go, um, Barcelona? And that was, I've been waiting to say that joke for so long. <laughs> and I managed to say it to him. And it, he did that thing where he laughed without smiling. I mean, because <laughs> it took him by surprise. That was one of the majestic moments in my life, right? So I put that out in a tweet. You know, four likes, no one cares. And then I see someone from One Direction say, I love toast and it has 70,000 retweets. And that's, I'm kind of thinking, if no one likes my Barcelona content and they like that toast content, well, then the world's gone to be damned and I don't want to be near it. But um, <laughs> if, see, I tell people silly things. Uh, I told Mason Crosby a story about how I jumped over my fence and did my shoulder in and bless him, he stopped to listen and didn't hang up the phone. So I was quite happy. But um, you talk about the, the people in, um, in Lambo the good relationships you had, but one of the famous bad relationships recently that I would have loved to have got you on at the time and, and got your reaction to because it was to your question that he said the following response. I can't help you. Winston Moss. What in the world happened there, Jason? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't 
entirely no. He and and I I want to be careful. I don't want to sound flippant about him. Um, but there were I, I tell this story whenever people ask me about Winston Moss. So, so a few years ago, Bill Huber and I were walking back from a training camp practice. Uh, it was one of the nighttime practices with McCarthy. It wasn't. Uh, it, it was maybe three or four years ago now. Yeah. It was after he'd interviewed for some head coaching jobs and not gotten them. And he stopped Bill and I. I'll never forget this. At the there's a driveway into the Lambeau Field parking lot off of Oneida Street. Um, like Armed Forces Way goes into this driveway that leads into the parking lot. And we stood out there at nine o'clock at night, fans walking by um, for. 20 minutes, a half hour of him asking, uh, our advice and what would you do? And how do I need to be with the media to help my chances of being a head coach? And, Mm. and he seemed really earnest. And then there were, you know, we kind of, again, I I don't mean this flippantly, but we all, we kind of wondered whether he was bipolar, um, because, he would be that way. And then like one press conference, he'd be terrific and insightful and informative. Mm. Uh, and then the next he'd be ornery and unfriendly and one word answers. And it was just very strange. And so I, I never really cracked that code. Um, and now he's, I guess, a head coach in the XFL. So we'll see how that fits him. But, you know, I, I will say this, it, he did not help himself with any of his behaviors at the podium and owners do pay attention to that kind of thing. Mm. And, and his behavior was erratic at best. Yeah. Cause I even remember saying it on the podcast at the time. I mean, you know, he was in the, he was in the organization for a long time. McCarthy obviously trusted him. Uh, you would deem him that he had a lot to offer. And that's what I was even saying that, okay, like if he didn't like what somebody had written about him, that's fine. If you want to have it out, that's fine. But if you're going to choose to do it in that fashion, well, then it's not going to help your prospects, no matter how much of a right that you probably think you have at that stage. Um, but I remember after that, I was trawling through the news stories to see had anything been said. And the only thing I could put my finger on was the fact that he'd went for the head, head coaching jobs, hadn't got them and that people you know, were saying that he, he wasn't qualified or that he had some type of, you know, maybe the attitude wasn't there, the attitude wasn't correct, other people were better qualified and maybe he yeah, took the exception to it. Well, so as it turned out, it wasn't that one of the other assistant coaches called me. Uh, I don't, I can't remember if it was that night then, because it was an off season interview mm. and it was, it was in like, it was probably a year ago, right about now, like late, it was maybe during the mini camp or during OTA. So a little over a year ago. And the assistant coach said, look at who he has at outside linebacker. Um, and that, he felt that it was Winston's way of exhibiting his displeasure with the personnel he had at his position. Mm. And that basically his attitude was, I got a bunch of guys that aren't very good. Um, I'm not going to get up here and say that they're good when they're not good. And he went in and, and I said to the assistant coach who called me, I'm like, look, it doesn't make it okay. I mean, he, it makes him look bad. Like it doesn't bother me. I, I, that's fine. If that's how he wants to be. But if that's the messaging he wanted to get through to the team, um, I'm not sure that he succeeded. And then obviously, uh, you know, I don't know what he did. I, one story that I don't know that I wish I knew more of, 
um, was obviously he had the tweets after Joe Philbin got the job yeah. and then he was fired shortly thereafter. I was told that there was far more to that and his behavior in meetings. And I wrote something that I had two different players tell me that, uh, he wasn't talking to Mike Pettin and Mike Pettin disputed that. Yeah. Um, but if you notice when Mike Pettin spoke about that, he said, when I ask him a question in a meeting, he answers it. Um, I don't think that's what the players were talking about. I think they were talking about how Winston was walking around the building, not talking to anyone, including his direct superior, unless asked a direct question. Um, but that's how it played out. And, and he will see what he can do with his budding XFL career. Yeah, strange episode, but um, that sort of stuff lends itself to comedy. And uh, I dropped a rap track <laughs> back in the day uh, about Winston Moss. I'll have to fire it on to you, Jason, see if uh, you're a bit of a rap connoisseur. But look, I'm, I'm conscious that uh, I had you for about half an hour and we're running just over half an hour. So I, I don't know, Jason, will I, will I hit you with some really random, maybe quick fire around 30 seconds, answer really fast, see what you want to do? I don't know. I don't know if anything that I answer is ever quick, but go ahead. <laughs> One food you just cannot stand. Uh, there's a long list, but uh, onions and mushrooms lead the way. Also ranch dressing. Yeah, uh, I, I'm after you there. Onions are a thing of the devil and they shouldn't be done. And my mother used to keep throwing them in and saying they were for flavoring. And I was like, well, I don't like that either. But anyway, the less said about that, the better. Bad childhood memories. Best TV show, Jason? Uh... I, my favorite was the West Wing. Mm. Right. Most hyped player ever in the NFL? Uh, Bo Jackson, but he lived up to the hype. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what an answer. I, was, I thought we were waiting into dangerous territory to come out and say Odell Beckham, but anyway, he's mine. Uh, biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve? Uh, people who are not loyal. Mm. Favorite book or author? Well, I, I'll tell you this. I finally have gotten around to the current book I'm reading, which is Collision Low Crossers, which is the uh, book about the 2011 New York Jets in which Mike Smith and Mike Pettin are uh, main characters in that story uh, about Rex Ryan's Jets. So that's yeah. the current book. I don't know if I have a – I mean, I, I've certainly read the classics and read everything that was assigned to me, but uh, – I, I will put a plug in for that book if you haven't read it. I'm about two-thirds of the way through, uh, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I must pick up a copy, actually. That'd be an insight and a half. Right, final two. Uh, you go jogging. What is on the Will They playlist? My guy, Matt Carney. I got to support uh, my guy. He's got a good <laughs> Irishman. You got to listen to him. I, I'll give him a go. I'll give him a shout. Um, right, finally, uh, you and me are, are dads. We live that hashtag dad life. It isn't glamorous and it involves some pretty unsavory stuff. Well, what's your biggest nugget of parenting advice that you could ever give someone? Uh, oof. I, I will be very careful with this because I do not want to sound like I am more of an expert than I am. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I completely stink at it, um, but I think I, I do have my moments where I'm pretty good at it. I think the overarching phrase that got me through uh our girls are nine and eight now Mm. and it still holds true i tell paula this all the time it's basically three words everything's a phase (laughs) and it holds absolutely true so try to remind yourself of that whether your kids are six months six years 16 years old Mm. everything is a phase and 
it will not stay the same as it is right now. That's a fantastic piece of advice because what a freak out moment and never go to Dr. Google either. If you're a child, like one of my kids, and again, I know I'm going to bore you with my stories, but one of my kids used to crawl and used to stick his foot in front of the other kind of and sort of crawl over his own leg. And we looked it up and it's just, you know, there was everything under the sun was wrong wrong with my child and I was freaking out and we were bringing him to the doctor and stuff like that but as you said is he doing it now no and that's what some someone gave me that piece of advice that we're worried about that our child is doing this and they go well uh you know is any adults doing that and we go no and he goes well then he's gonna grow out of it so don't worry about it it's fine uh but what a fantastic um do you know what I was talking about your journalistic stuff I talked about what's on your playlist we never even got near the whole Packers thing uh again but I find that uh with a personality as big as you and with the radio show that you have you give us that Packers insight every single day on Will Day and Touch which is an absolutely fantastic uh listen and again from part one uh the promises that we will be getting more uh content bigger minutes even if we have to pay which is which will be relatively pittance for such fantastic content i say absolutely bring it on mr jason wilday you are an absolute gentleman to come on for two parts uh to listen to this rambling irishman but uh i've really enjoyed it. it's been one of my favorite times ever on the podcast so i cannot thank you enough as long as i was better than Domofsky, that's all i care about. <laughs> it's like top gear you know we have a sort of chart about you know the, who does the tracks and all that i think you're coming up you're the two-parter there so come on you're in the lead that's the challenge that we're going to uh, put against Domofsky. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I've been at NFL on Twitter. Follow the group at UK Packers. And, of course, uh, follow Jason Willey on all social media platforms. And be sure to tune into his radio show for all the fantastic content. But that's it for this week.